All right. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to our uh, No Gear Requi Required podcast. I was with me, the two brothers, Jay Zebalos and Mike Zebalos. And today we have somebody which I was trying for a while, just trying to make sure the hours, the schedule. He's a, you guys see, he's a busy guy. Casey Housestead, is that correct? Yes, sir. Or known by Coach Casey. <laughs> man, I, can, I got you here, man. He drove all the way from Vegas I to know, be here. I know, that's pretty cool. Welcome. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. Man, uh, I was reading a lot of things about you. And I mean, we, we know each other. We train on the mats. And I remember in the early stages of your career, but it's incredible to see the evolution from a few years ago until now. I, I wanna know how, how was the beginning of martial arts in your life? Because I know wrestling, karate, then the grappling world. That's exactly what happened. Seven years old, I started wrestling. And then um, growing up in the 80s, karate was almost like a, a staple oh. in California. And so I did, I did the karate for a while and I wrestled all the way through junior high school. And then, uh, when I got into high school, I got into some trouble. So I was never able to wrestle in high school, but, um, I took a hiatus and then about 29, I got back into grappling and I've been doing it three times a day since. And tell me like, um, when was the, the first would say opening of your first school officially? This is my school, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was um, Costa Mesa. Yes, sir. So at that time, I was training at another school, and then um, I parted ways from, from my old instructor and uh, started heading up to Hollywood to train with Eddie. And just something happened once I started training with Eddie, and I realized that there was a lot of possibility in jiu-jitsu, that it was, it was not as strict as I came up, you know, and, and his approach and his attitude about jujitsu and evolving and pushing, that was always something that I agreed with myself. And um, so as I started to try to plan to open a gym, I mean, it just made sense that I would do a 10th planet with Eddie since I was training with him. And, and how was that first meeting with Eddie? How was that encounter happen? You know, how is, because Eddie's a very interesting guy, like we all know, and we all love him to death and funny, but how was that? Because I know the way he is sometimes for a lot of people like, whoa. And once you get to know him, you know, like, man, I love this guy. How was that for you, the first encounter and how that friendship developed? How was that? So I was training with a guy named Rick Marshall and Rick Marshall was part of 10th Planet Riverside in the beginning. And so he would come in and train with us at a gym that we had called Subtech. I was just training with a friend of mine there. And so he started taking us to Eddie to train up in Hollywood. And my first impression of Eddie was completely different. It was, it was uh, like mind blowing because I felt like jujitsu as was taught to me, was really good, basic fundamental jujitsu. I'm very happy that I had my original instructor. But when I met Eddie, it was almost like I had been ex existing in a dark room with no light and no air. And when I met Eddie, he blew the windows out of the room. And I was like, oh my God, jujitsu can be so much more. And it was almost like I started from scratch again with this love. And um, I've always had a love for jujitsu since my first day, but Eddie really reinvigorated that, that just desire to learn. And it was, it was, it was amazing. You also trained jujitsu with Gi, right? Yes, sir. All the way to Brown Belt. Yeah, and I remember when you come by to the schools, um, sometimes and you you have the gi, and I was like, yeah, he did, he does both gi and no gi, and and on that approach of Eddie, it's basically, it's not on that you start seeing the light, but you start seeing jujitsu with a different view of it, of unlimited way for you to develop, and it's basically low limits to how far you can get. And based on that was, how was your life to the course of jiu-jitsu? Because you have the life that you teach, you, know, you compete, and sometimes you open a business. Then how was that transition for you in all those areas? As a school owner, do you like to compete? Because I see you 
Josh Cool. And I was playing with you before we, we are up in the air. Here is, every time I turn the TV to say UFC night or some fights, I see Casey's there. Someone from his, your school is fighting there. And you have a lot of, would say a lot of guys through the years that is being consistent competing. When did you start and get to the point that you become such a great coach? Then you have all, all these people competing in the grappling world, MMA world. What else is there that you're looking for? Because it's, 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 it's a great feeling to see all of the development. Thank you. I, I feel like for me in competition, right, I, I have a few MMA fights. And if I won, I was never really happy about it. And if I lost, I was never really sad about it. I was just kind of like, it didn't really move the needle for me a lot. It was, it's weird. I'm just kind of like pretty easy going with that kind of stuff. And um, I remember cornering for the first time in MMA. And I remember the feeling of seeing a teammate win was more exciting for me than for myself to win. And I realized then that the calling for me was to coach. And um, I started coaching long before I should have. And, and I actually look back now, I had Tony Ferguson back in the early days. And, um, I, I think to myself like, dang, none of us were prepared to be fighting at that level. And, and it's just, it's crazy, like evolving to where I'm at now. And then thinking about the experience level that I was at and fighting, like having guys fight on big stages, like Mark Munoz and Tony Ferguson. It's just crazy that we were doing that, you know? And, um, so I, I think like the evolution just came from what really moves the needle emotionally for me is watching other people succeed. And that's also why I like business so much because I like to take a guy like Jesse here and I like to develop him and then get him in a position where he can live the jujitsu lifestyle and actually like create new business for himself and opportunities for others. And that's what really excites me at this point. And th that's why coaching is so attractive to me is because I just like helping people achieve their goals. And, and I know on that process, and it's incredible because that feeling of, I'm here just basically the way I feel is you're testing yourself, regardless of the outcome. You go step on the field, go to the war, and whatever comes out, I just, I done. I done that, I've been here. Did that feeling on you doing that, you feel that helped you later on as a coach absolutely because not necessarily have to be fighting to be a good coach and you've done both you've been the area there and turn out to be a, a very very good coach that's what i hear from all the fighters all the people that come from your school the compliments they have towards you it's um, incredible well one that's great to hear because you know like as coaches you know I, the way that I see it is if my fighter wins, it's because of them. If they lose, it's because of me. I, I take that much responsibility. And, um, you know, I definitely think you need to experience fighting to coach fighters. You, you had to have done it right. You have to be able to, like, you shouldn't ask somebody to do something that you wouldn't be willing to do yourself. I mean, that's just pretty good way of living. But the thing that I try to do is pay attention, right? So like, when I'm training a fighter, I'm paying attention to what moves them emotionally because in every single fight, there's going to be a time where you feel like you want to quit, you're in pain, you know, you're battling your inner demons a lot. And I think the coach needs to pay attention to like what moves their fighter so you could pull on the heartstrings and you can motivate them because I think there's a clear difference between coach and instructor. And I think I'm a better coach than an instructor. And I think a coach is more of like a motivator and gets you to do things that you didn't think you were able to do. Whereas like as an instructor, I feel like you're giving information and, and uh, the coaching part is what I really pride myself in. Is that on your, when you want to prepare a fight, is that anything that you're working on, on him, on the process prior to the fight? Is that any steps that you take? Because sometimes I got guys that are a little, have a fear in their eyes or they're not feeling they're in their best shape. What are the steps and approach that you make them to, to get into the point that now he, he, he believes on himself now? 
Are you talking about in the in the room or on fight night? Yeah, that's what I that's what I was gonna say. It sounds more like is there stuff that transcends beyond the actual drills and the, like the mental aspect? Absolutely. That that's one of the that's one of the things that I pride myself in the most is is I'm like okay we got we've got this gym and we've got all these fighters and my number one job is to give the intention of the program like like how are we moving as a unit. And what are we trying to look like and what are we trying to accomplish? And I'll just give you a quick story. Julian Arosa, he's he's like he's a 145er in the UFC. He was on the ultimate fighter. He fought, he got cut. Then we took a short notice fight and he lost three fights in a row and got cut again. And then we took a short notice fight and then he won. So he's been cut from the UFC twice and signed three times. And now he's four and one in his last five fights. And then uh, I have a girl named Casey O'Neill. She's, she's going to be the champion at 125. She's incredible. But they fought on the same night. And Casey fought right before Julian. And so uh, this was during COVID. So they had like all the fighters separated. And it, it was at the apex. And um, so Casey wins. She gets a TKO by ground and pound. And then uh, we didn't even stick around to take a picture in the cage. We just immediately, I was like, good job. And I ran back to Julian. And this will help kind of describe the kind of emotion that they should have going into it. So he's with one of our training partners getting ready. And we're cornering and going through a whole fight. And he's up next. And so I'm really concerned. Like, man, is he okay? Like, did he get a good warm up? We're not going to have enough time. And I go running back and I bust into the room and he's just soaking with sweat and he's walking around with all this swagger. And I'm like, I'm like, Julian, are you ready? And he's like, oh, I'm ready to die. And I was like, cool. And I immediately calmed down. And so I know it's cliche cause you're not going to die in an MMA fight. Right. But the mentality of winning at all costs, you have to have that because you can get away with, with some flaws in your character in the regional scene. You know, you fight guys that don't know if they want to be fighters and they find out very quickly in the first round that this isn't for them and they're easy outs. But when you get to the UFC, by that point, everybody's a real fighter. So for me, giving the intention. So one thing that we can control 100% is cardio. What kind of shape are you going in the fight in, right? You, you are the only one in charge of that, the individual fighter. Whether or not you're going to be more skilled than your opponent, like you can't really control that. You know, he, he may have like a secret thing that they're working on over there. So like we like to race to exhaustion. So we know that we have enough cardio. When, when one of my fighters is looking across the cage at his opponent, never once does he have a doubt that that guy worked harder than him. That's like the most important thing going into the fight, knowing that I can go 100% for however long the fight's gonna be. It's something that I, I learned that in the early days in the jiu-jitsu events and um, I think of what Hickson told me, <clears throat> whenever you think you're tired, your opponent is dead. And that mentally makes you so much stronger. Like, okay, I'm tired, but you look across and man, that guy's dead. Yep, we, we uh, Casey O'Neill fought a uh, black belt from Brazil from, uh, her name is Lara Procopio. And Casey was a purple belt at the time. And going from uh, the second round was like a grappling round. They were on the ground grappling the whole time. Going into the third round, we were going up in the cage at the apex. And Casey popped up and Laura was on her knees like, oh, like exhausted. And I was coming up the, up the stairs and I was yelling at Casey. I'm like, look at her, look at her. She's tired, she's tired. And so when we were cornering her, we stood to the side of the of the stool mm -hmm. so laura had to look at casey the whole time and then we pulled the stool and we were like get up and stand up and start pacing and it just broke her and then casey went out and finished her by rear naked choke put her to sleep and then i gave her a brown belt right after that wow, that's mm -hmm. cool and i think those those are stories that you're not telling because you heard from somebody who live in those moments how on your view be involved so much and for so many years and being so successful and making good fighters, what would be today somebody walking into your gym, they can be an okay young guy, how long would it take him 
that you believe to be in a point that you can start fighting? What mm. would you see, like two years, one year, six months? Because it depends evidently the individual, but I'm sure a lot of people approach your gym because they see the success you have already so many fighters there and they want to be part of your team. It's like, man, I want to be under Coach Case because he's, I would say average, how long it takes for somebody. I, I would say with zero experience, scratch. I have a kid named Adam and um, he came in little bit of taekwondo as a kid but not much but he's an athlete and uh i believe he's four and one now and he's been training three years but he's definitely an outlier that's like not the normal trajectory i've been accused of sandbagging we we had a i have a fighter an amateur fighter in orange county and he fought a very reputable gym the cousin of a very reputable fighter and we uh we took him out in the first round really easy like in 30 seconds and the other coach was saying that we were lying about his experience level like you guys are sandbagging and to me that was a huge compliment because i'm never gonna allow somebody to fight if they're not ready right so it's like we're gonna we're gonna put in overtime we're gonna install all the technique that they need and want versus need we struggle with that a lot so just because a kid wants to fight doesn't mean that he should fight he needs a certain set of skills in order to do that to protect himself especially today it's it's a professional world it's not just a backyard fight then you see no proper something that is it's a different level and through this whole process man it's a it's incredible is what was why you make the decision for you to move from such a nice area orange county to las vegas you, if I'm not wrong, you have two schools in Vegas. Is that correct? Yes, I have uh, downtown and then Las Vegas and Henderson. And why was that? It's to be closer to the fight? So, um, I don't know. You, that, I'm asking you, man. Well, that that was a personal decision to leave. I mean, obviously at that point, I had four gyms in Orange County. I was cornering a lot of very successful fighters at the time. I had Carla Esparza, Chito Vera, Alex Perez. We had real talent, real talent. And um, my wife and I had been trying to have a baby for eight years. And uh, we decided to go in vitro for fertilization. And then my six-year-old is when I actually left. And you want to know a crazy thing? The One of the biggest... One of the biggest factors in me not leaving, like when I was when I was like, am I gonna leave California and move to Vegas? Was actually this academy was like one of the biggest, that was the biggest obstacle is like, I was like, man, I can't leave John Jock's academy. I don't know if you guys remember, I just took off. It, I, like, I remember. Yeah, it happened like out of nowhere. I remember I used to see you every week and suddenly, hey, worst case. Yeah. <laughs> then, yeah I, then I hear, oh, it's a gym in Vegas now. Yeah, it's because, I knew that it was such a radical move that when I felt compelled to do it. And which if, year was that? Uh, it's been six years. So what are we, 2022 going on seven years, 2015? And it's already, I mean, the, the stores that are here are very successful in both gyms. And I just see the expansion and getting bigger and bigger. Yep. Yeah. It, w it was purely financial. You know, my wife is an attorney and, uh, I had like a full-time job when I was still in California and then I had this little baby infant and I would get up in the morning, 5 a.m., go work my, uh, I worked for an oil major in LA, so I would go work that job and then I would go run the gyms at night. And then uh, my teenager, the one that's wrestling in college right now, she was getting a little bit older and she had her own interests. And always before, it was never a problem me being gone so much because I would get home and she would go train with me. And then now occasionally she's like, hey, I want to hang out with my friends. I don't want to go with you. And I was feeling extremely disconnected from my family. And, and it was just too much. And having an infant at home and having an amazing wife I couldn't rationalize her working and someone else raising my child. And so, you know, we go from $700,000 house to $200,000 house and we both retired and uh, I opened up the gyms in Vegas. And so I did it so we can reconnect with the family because, you know, with traffic in LA, cost of LA, Vegas is significantly cheaper. And, and also I see in a lot of, of footages on your social media is the, 
the affection of the family, the kids are playing golf now, wrestling. Then we definitely feel that it's a part of your 24 hours. You go to work, but your kids are with you at work and and made what we call the jujitsu lifestyle. Would you say that? Oh yeah, I. It's crazy because I look back now, and I, you know, I, I know other people have said this, but jujitsu is not something that I do. It's something that I am. Like it exists and it permeates every single cell and facet of my life, and I'm forever indebted to jujitsu. And I mean, my kids are thriving because of it. My 19-year-old daughter in college is the most well-balanced child you will ever meet. And it's all because of jujitsu. 100% she can deal with any situation with class and grace. And it's all because of the instructors that I've had and that she's had. And you would say in your school, as I don't know, percentage-wise, if possible, for the amount of people that you have in a school, what would be the percentage that actually followed through the fighting career? Because it's not an easy task. You no. make the guys realize, okay, it's it's a different level now. It's not like three days a week training now. You have to become real professional, 24 hours dedication for your own safety. What would be in your school percentage-wise out of the amount of, because you have a lot of students, but not all of them want to go and do a profession. They can train at the school, but a professional level is, is a different thing. That's a really good question. And that's something that I'm grappling with in my own mind as we speak. You know, this is something that's currently happening. So when I was here in Orange County and we had 10th Planet Costa Mesa, I would say we were 90% competitors. We had 250 students and they were fighting or competing or wrestling, everyone. And every single class, most people were under 30. And it was just hardcore, just blood and guts, jujitsu. It was, it was like a wrestling room, really. It's like how I ran it. It was like a wrestling room with strangles and joint locks. And I find now that I'm getting older, all of a sudden, I'm getting way more law enforcement, like tons of law enforcement. I'm getting executives, doctors, and I'm evolving into this older man, like right in front of everybody's eyes. And then I've got like Jesse and uh, Andy Varela, who's like my number one competitor in the jujitsu world. And like you were, you were kind of teasing about your class sizes. His classes are 60, like insane. And he's just so high paced. And I look and I'm like, man, that's where I was like 10 years ago. And now I'm this like older guy and I'm actually enjoying training executives. Like I'm, I'm really enjoying that. So do, do I, you feel on that different group age, the approach that you use, because one thing is you're training guys to go for a fight. And now you're teaching people that they should see to have an incredible impact in their lives. What would say you feel a little difference between those two different groups? Because the whole purpose of jiu-jitsu is, and you an example of that, to change your life for better. For me, there's, there's no difference when I train an executive or a fighter. All I do is flop my perspective. So when I'm training a fighter, it's to accomplish the goal of winning the fight. When I'm training like just a normal everyday person, it's self-defense, primary, number one. And that's why my jujitsu is so good for law enforcement and for, so like if I put it in perspective, like I don't train to points, I never talk to points. It's, it's always like, it's always number one, that the number one thing in the gym is culture above everything else. So, so culture first, self-defense second, health and fitness third and jujitsu fourth, but they're all so close together. They're just, it's like one A, B, C and D. And so like, using self-defense as, as my primary governor in my delivery of jujitsu, it's really easy for me to switch from fighters to moms. It's really easy because I take them both just as seriously because, I mean, the fighters use it all the time, three or four times a year. Hopefully the mom never has to use it, but she better know how to do it if she needs it. 
right? And so I give the same passion and the same delivery to everybody uh, because to me, they're the same thing. And I think the, the important is when they change their mind, everything is possible, definitely. In, in this whole process now, um, like you mentioned, man, I want to go through some, if you can, some stories, funny moments or situations in your school or <laughs> at ready before the UFC, things that happen that stuck with you or maybe a life learning lesson that you had, things that on you, that you experienced yourself. Um, well, I would say like most, I mean, I have tons of memories of traveling, you know, like we, you know how it is when you're, when you're coaching and fighting, like you're just traveling the world. But the most important thing is like individual relationships that I've made with people. And, and I find that like, I find like everybody that I work with, I actually gain more from the relationship than I feel like they do. You know, I feel like jujitsu is such a, it's such an amazing thing that like when you train with somebody and you bleed with them and sweat with them and actually be vulnerable in competition with them, like you just kind of like take a little from, like I've never fought somebody that I don't like. Every single time, I, I always admire the guy, right? Like any MMA fight, like that guy is forever part of me, you know? And um, so, I mean, I, I'm kind of lost with like, trying to find like a specific story. Yeah, moment. Is, is there any quote that you have in your life or something that somebody said or read somewhere that you always remember? Any quote, anything that you saw? Yeah. Um, so one thing that kind of sticks out to me that really changed the way that I train now is like, I remember one time Eddie, we were, we were training in downtown and Eddie was off on like a tangent. And, and it really, this, this is like a pivotal moment in my career is he was talking about like ownership of a technique and like, at what level do you want to understand it at, you know? And, and for me, it's a head and arm choke. Like I took that like all the way to the next level and, and that was one moment, but he didn't even know that he impacted me so much. And then there, you know, there's some things, I don't know if you remember, this is between us. I was in here. And, uh, I was sitting down and you just came up and talked to me one day, just out of the blue. And there's no way that you could have known. And I tell everybody this story, but there's no way that you could have known that I was feeling some kind of weird way. One of my friends got promoted to black belt and it hurt my feelings, but I was happy for him. It was really weird. And I didn't really know how to deal with the emotion. I was like a little hurt that I didn't get the belt. And then, but I was super happy for him at the same time. It was a weird emotion. And just out of nowhere, this was like two days prior, you came and sat down next to me and you, you were like, hey, like this was unprovoked. It was the craziest thing. And you were like, hey, you can never judge yourself based on like other people. And you gave me this really eloquent speech. And I was just like, there's no way that John Jock just read my mind. There's no way. I was just maybe I did. You sure about that? I don't know. <laughs> it, was, it was the most wild thing that's ever happened to me in a training situation ever. I, I just couldn't believe it. And it, it was like, it was what I needed to hear at that time. And it, that was like another really pivotal moment for me. And I use it all the time. Every time you promote people, someone's getting their feelings hurt. And I always tell them I'm judging you against your potential, not against somebody else's potential. And I actually think you use those words with me and, that day. And, and we always see when we have days that I promote one guy and two guys in the class. You can see in some others, you can feel that after a while, that guy. And I explain, I say, look, man, what I require from you is different than what I require from Jay. You can give me a lot more, you know what I mean? And you're not doing that right now. Why not? Mm -hmm. You understand? Each one has, because after a while, and I'm sure you, you, you see the way, all your students, you don't compare them with each other. You just see the potential that each one has. Mm -hmm. Everyone in my school I see is in a good way as a book. As a, and I have a very good library, all my students, with things that you say, with things that Jay said. And I'm able to see all the pages and the chapters of you guys' life. 
and definitely some guys as an instructor you should require more because you know they can give you way more yeah it was and you you want to it was eddie promoted the guy like a few days prior and it just i just remember sitting there just completely dumbfounded i was like wow and and what that did is like one of my strengths as a coach is i pay attention and one of the lessons from that dialogue that we had was that you pay attention Man, I, I can't tell when the guy walking to school if he's going to stay or not. Just by his handshake. I talk to him, look at his eye. I said, no, that guy's going to be here forever. Mm-hmm. And I have some guys that I have to work harder to keep him here. You know, one of the things that, like, two Thursdays ago we just popped in. And I couldn't help but looking at the guys walking in. And I'm like, man, some of these guys have been walking in since the 90s. <laughs> the <laughs> same thing you can ask you can see jay how long it's been jay yeah 20 this june will be 25 years amazing 25 years and um i think that says a lot of the culture you create in your own school because everything not everybody goes to your school would be fighting the ufc but they like the environment that you create you know and think that's one of the things that is a key point for a lot of schools is that health environment that people wants to go regardless of how they feel oh, i'm exhausted but i want to go yes sir i tell i tell jesse he teaches for me in my downtown location and i tell him all the time that we live this unique lifestyle where we're excited to do what we do and so many people in this well in the world have jobs that they don't like and they're in situations that are pretty rough and as instructors it's my job and i take it deathly serious when someone gets off of work, they're gonna do one of two things. They're gonna come and train with me or they're gonna go buy a six pack of beer and watch the Laker game. Absolutely. And, and I t- that, that's what drives me every day is like, I have to be better. I have to create a culture that's exciting and welcoming. And man, you gotta understand a lot of people sometimes forget about it. People show up at your school after the whole day at work. They already beat up. And I have to appreciate it, man. I, I want to make that person leave with a smile on their face or leave with like the fire in their eyes. I say, man, tomorrow I'm going to go back to my job, my work, and I'm going to make even better because of that train he just had in your school. And I think now perfectly to you when they say Coach Casey is they change that jiu-jitsu allows you into people's life and make the difference for them without asking anything back. And the simple fact that you mentioned that you're feeling now more fulfilling yourself, seeing your students winning than yourself. And that says a lot because if you read and understand the meaning of samurai is samurai is a server. And that's how we feel. People come to your school, we're serving them. We are ready to go to war, but I want to make sure he's better each time he comes here. You're providing that to every single person that comes to your school, and we see the results. It's it's so incredible to see, because I know you, and when I go and look at you on TV, it's like, man, that is so awesome. I'm so happy to see, and I'm not see you one time. I see you, I don't know, 100 times. The case again. There we go. And you can tell by looking at your face there how how happy you are to be there for somebody else. I feel like that's my actual purpose. You know, like one of the, I tell my wife this, we kind of joke, I'm, I'm really happy in the place that we're at in our life. But I tell her all the time, I wish we would have had more children. I wish we would have had eight or 10 because she's such a powerful mother that she would just leave really rad people here like when we're gone. Like it's important, you know, it's important to make awesome people. So in my own little way, I'm trying to make every one of my students, when I'm gone, long gone, I want them all to just be a little bit better. They're they're your family now. Yes, sir. 25 years, how can I call him a friend? If a friendship lasts more than seven years, it's no longer friendship, it's a family. Yes, sir. And here we have 25, 22, 
I don't know how long we know each other. I don't know, something like that too. And here we go. And I think it's amazing that feeling to see people moving forward. And to me, coming here in 1992, but I have my brothers coming in 1989 to America and never imagined that Jiu-Jitsu get as big as it is today. But uh, we knew we have a mission, and what we do is to make a difference in people's life in a way that they now have the tools to go out there and make anything they want to make with their life happen. Yes, to see people successful in whatever area they have. And I think it's, um, this is what jujitsu is. It's not just to make a fighter only, but to make somebody who can go out there in life and everything is possible. I tell, I tell my students, like, it's like something I do when I'm signing people up and they don't quite understand jujitsu and, and the, the financial expense that comes with it and the emotional expense. You know, the people that love you are the ones that pay the real cost because for all of us in here, I mean, we train a lot. You know, my wife goes without me a lot because I'm in the gym a lot because it's just, it's what, it's who I am. And, and I try to explain to them, I, I draw this like diagram out. And, and so I have like on one side of the diagram, I make like this little weird emoji and it's like your fear. And it's like everything that's bad about you. And then in the middle, I make like a stone. And then on the right, I make like a katana, a samurai sword. And the samurai sword represents everything good about you and jujitsu is the stone and it sharpens the blade of all the good stuff. And that same stone smashes all the bad stuff and just kind of evaporates that. And when someone really understands, they become better fathers, better husbands, better friends. And it's all through jujitsu because we're getting our ego smashed every day. And you know, when I leave training, especially at 47 years old, I leave exhausted. And I've never left the gym mad. And and I think is the more the more we train jujitsu, the less we're gonna have physical fights on the streets. That's for sure. The last thing, man, I've been fighting from <laughs> Sunday to Sunday. I don't wanna how many times I apologize to people. It's like, I oh, mean, have a great day. But it's funny you say never leaving the gym mad. I had a different career before I started teaching full time and that's the one thing my wife always notices about me. Um, before I started teaching full-time, more often than not, I'd call her on the way home. And a lot of times it was, you know, how was your day? I had a, I had a pretty rough day. I had a bad day. I had a horrible day. I never have a bad day. When I come home at night, I'm always so happy. I'm exhausted too. But that's the fulfillment of the work we get to do, helping people. But at least it allows me to um, be there for her because she's the one that works. I don't really work. So, but yeah, it's just, it's, what else are you going to get that's going to just bring you so much joy to we, help people? You know what we hear here, we hear a lot over here. It's sometimes you see guys like three, four days a week. Man, normally you come two days. Oh, my wife told me to come. She wants me, she wants me to see myself in a good mood. We had one guy call, <laughs> one guy, one guy did that. He, he came in and he's like, I'll see you Thursday or I'll see you Friday, Jane. I'm like, okay, you're not, you're not coming in this week. Oh, I'm busy work this, blah, 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 blah. Next day he comes in I'm like, what happened? He goes, I called my wife, you know, she, I was on my way home and I just, I'm stressed out and I opened the garage door and she's standing there with my gi bag. She walks down and she goes, go train. I like you better after you train. I was like, man, <laughs> and then that's when you know, you know, that's when you know you're on the right track. That's beautiful. You know, that's, I'm, I'm really lucky that, that I have such a supportive wife. You know, if, uh, like when I told her I was coming here, she was so excited for me because she knows how much you mean to me. And, and she was like, heck yeah, go. And, and she's, she just supports it a hundred percent. And what she gets in return yeah. is something that's way better than what I used to be. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, as having and live your life, and as a martial artist, if you put in time wise, you spend more time at your gym than at your own house. I think one thing when the stand is the last time, the little time we have with the family, I would say little, but the time we have, we enjoy so much. We know how much value that has in our life. 
Because for you to be good on this side, you need a balance on the other side. Yes, sir. And I think it's time-wise, you put in the clock, it's like, man, I've been 10 hours over here, I was five hours at home. But the five hours at home is like 50 hours in your life to go back there. I also think a lot of people get caught in a trap too where they work nine to five, they go home and they spend from, so I tell people that have like real jobs and families, I tell them all the time, I would say do more jujitsu and give your wife less time and she's gonna be more happy with the less time. Because if you're working nine to five and you're unfulfilled in your personal life, then you go home and you watch TV, you drink, you're on your phone. But then when you really understand the emotional expense of jujitsu, you go home and you give your family undivided attention, right? So, so for me, my wife may only get two hours a night from me, but it's locked in two hours a night versus when I was working a full-time job, she might get four, but That's I'm just not, distracted the whole time. It's yeah, not yeah. quality war hours that you spend and I think it's to be honest, I don't watch TV. I don't know if you guys are there. I'm, I'm not against TV, but it's nothing much out there for us to watch. And I think TV is a window for loneliness. Mm. It's like you look into a window and you're alone. That's a good you know analogy. I mean? Yeah, it's it really basically is. Basically, you're being, work, somebody's work on you, but you're alone. And I'd rather be surrounded with people that we love for sure. In case in this whole process, because it's challenge to own a martial arts school, is that in advice something that you can tell somebody who wants to open a school and to be successful? Because evidently you have to know what you're providing, what you're teaching, because you invest almost your whole life learning jiu-jitsu how to teach and all those things. Is there any steps that you, because you have a successful business and a lot of people there, they might be thinking, oh, I want to open a school too. And what would be some advice or things that you see that worked well for you that people could use that also in there? The, the first thing I would say is if you want an easy life, don't open your own business, right? Like you have to work. And you have to pre be prepared to reinvest. So when I opened my first academy, I didn't make any money off of it for three years. I just kept reinvesting and reinvesting and reinvesting, but I had a full-time job at the same time. That's number one. And then number two is know what you're selling. Like, what are you selling? So for example, I, I'm in Vegas, right? And I've got Sergio Pena right down the road, Robert Drysdale, Vinny, I've got all these, and they're all amazing, right? And if all I can offer is jujitsu, I'm gonna fail. If that's all I'm gonna offer, these guys are amazing. And uh, so I realized that I have to sell other things. So, so I have to pay attention. I learned that from you. You have to pay attention to your individual student. You have to connect to them on a deeper level. And so culture, so having a, having a strong business plan is very important, right? That's why mine is culture, self-defense, health and fitness, and jujitsu. Because if I put jujitsu just solely on the top, I would have a hard time competing with the legends that are around me, right? So I have to add more. I have to create more value. So you got to constantly reassess your position, your market position. Constantly reassess it. Am I adding the value that's necessary? Am I taking this for granted? And then the other thing is when your eyes wake up, you got to just get up. So if I'm sleeping and I hear something and I wake up and it's four in the morning, I just get up and go to work and I just, I just fire up the laptop and I go, or I answer emails or I start to think about stuff or I set up a lesson plan. Right. And, um, I really feel like if it's same MMA approach, right, it's the same thing. So like if the guys, that live in Vegas are getting up at nine to teach at 11. I'm gonna be up at six and I'm gonna do more. And that's why we have a 6 a.m. program. I'm, I'm in the gym at 5.30 every morning. Well, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and we're getting 35, 40 students at 6 a.m. And, and that, pro, that particular program means the world to me because the amount of sacrifice that everybody 
has to make to get in there at that time is incredible. And so, so I'd say a strong business plan, understanding what you're selling and then being willing to do the hard work. And, you know, we were talking earlier and I hope that as jujitsu continues to expand and grow, I hope that the new gym owners in the future don't take their position lightly because if you're going to own a school and you're going to make money off of jujitsu, you have to make sure that you're always giving more than you receive. Like if you're just in it for the money, then I would say go do something else. Oh, that definitely is, is the wrong approach. And I think it's, we can see out there a lot of schools that survived the pandemic, a lot of schools gone. And that tells a lot with the approach each school has towards the people. Because if you like what you do, everything else I believe will fall in place. You know, I think the most important, as you mentioned, is the individual that comes to a school. And to me is everyone that comes here, they have a different background, they have a different lifestyle. How can we put jiu-jitsu to make their lifestyle better for them? And this is the priceless reward we get as an instructor. And that right there is what separates successful from not, you know, like if you're going to be successful, you have to be willing or you have to be able to adapt and give the people what they need because not everybody has the same body type either. So like not even culturally, but even age, body type, disabilities, like everything. It's just, and you have to be, you have to be able to, to adjust. And I think, I think that's the art itself is is there anything out there for you in the martial arts world that you still want to do it because you've been in almost in every single situation of student fighter instructor business owner now coaching people in the grappling tournaments coaching people in the mma what else is left well i want an adcc champ for sure and, and I, th I think Andy Varela might be able to do it. He's He's got trials coming up in three weeks in Vegas. And then we fought for a few UFC titles, but we have not been able to get one. I mean, we've won some major ones like the PFL. You knock at the door quite often, sir. Yep. I have no doubt that in one of those, the door is going to open. Yep. And then, and then, you know, personally, I just, all my friends and all, all the people that train with me, like I just, I want to see them succeed. You know, that's really where my brain's at right now. And then continue to train with awesome people and learn. You know, I, I feel like every year that goes by, I just realize how much I need to learn. I, I, feel, I feel more beginner today than I ever have in my entire life. Is, is there anything you can say, what do you learn sometimes from your own students? Oh, Wow. Man, I, I learn from them every every single day. For, for one, so I have a specific instance, and, and this was also a powerful moment in my life. I had a student whose family is into commercial real estate, very wealthy in Orange County. And he randomly cold called me one day and was like, hey, I'm going to move to Vegas, and I want to help you with your downtown location. And he's like, I'm going to come. I, I need very little money, and, and I'm going to blow it up. And I, I only want to get paid based on the growth of your academy. And I, I love this guy, he's amazing. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. But what I didn't know, his dad was giving him the push really hard to get into the family business. And him calling me was like his exit out of the family <laughs> business. So then the following Monday, I called him up and I was like, all right, let's get this thing. And he's like, I'm going into the family business. And uh, Ruben Rivera, he's one of Eddie's black belts. Yes. But at the time, he was working for me. And I was so bummed out because I was like, man, you're so close to like living the dream. You can do this. And so Ruben pulled me aside and he was like, hey, like when everything was, he was gone and he had already decided. And Ruben was like, it's not your job to steal his learn his lesson. Like it's his lesson. He needs to go learn. He's like, the only reason you, you are so appreciative of your position is because you went through corporate America and you did your path to here. And he's like, this is his path. And he's like, it's, it's not your job to try to like do that. You got to let him figure it out on his own. 
And so like what, so my approach with that kind of thing now is I guide them and then their decision-making is up to them. Oh, definitely. You know, and that, that was like a really powerful one because I'm very strong with my opinions and I'm like, no, like this is the right way. You're doing it the wrong way. But at the end of the day, it's, it's their life path. It's their choice. It's their choice. You just provided them tools to make the best choice. Yep. And here's the cool thing. He went and made a lot of money. And just recently he came back to jujitsu and like, he's all in now. And it's just, and, and he came back way better for it, you know? And so he's like more prepared. So. Man, you see, it's uh, so much to learn in this path, this journey of jujitsu. What would say to you from the beginning of your early days in martial art, would you ever imagine you would be living your life with such a passion with martial arts and this specific jiu-jitsu, would you have imagined living, I would say a dream became reality to you? Is it sometimes it's not how much we make, it's how happy we are with what we make. And here we are. How was that path for you? What was that? No, I never thought, but along the way, you start seeing things that you haven't seen before. How was that journey for you from here Choose no limit, not of what you can do. That's another really good question. And, and it's something that my wife and I talk about a lot. You know, I, I had a, like a really weird upbringing where, uh, you know, my family was kind of in and out of hard times and I was in and out of trouble as like an early teenager. And we struggled financially growing up. And I existed in two worlds, like LA County and Orange County. My parents separated. And I just always remember driving through neighborhoods and thinking, wow, you know, people that own houses, like they're different than us. Like we live in apartments, you know, we don't, we don't own stuff. And I remember walking through strip malls and, and looking at the businesses. And, you know, when I was a kid, there was more mom and pop businesses. Like there was like a jeweler, you know, a, a shoe repair guy. And so it was like, you would see the owner. There was actually butchers back then. And I remember thinking they were just different types of people. They weren't. I wasn't like them. Like we, we were underachievers. Like, and I, I always felt like that was out of reach. So it was, you know, I, I met my wife and married her and, and she's very strong and educated and she thinks she can do anything. And, and I remember just never thinking that it was possible that I would own my own business. I, I'm an employee. I'm lucky to have a job. Like I'm grateful to the company. That was my mindset. Right. And so for me, owning a gym literally came from my wife. She's like, no, you're amazing. You can do this. Like you, you can live the dream. You can do this. And it you feels like she's involved with martial arts long before you. <laughs> right. And, and she's like, you have a responsibility to like mentor these kids and do this. Like you like, go, go do it. And I, I lacked confidence. It was really weird. And, and it, it came from, it's, it's literally what changed me was opening my own school and then realizing that, Hey, you know what? Like you can do this and you can, you know, and, and I started gaining confidence. And then from opening the school, like I've had tons of different businesses since then. And, and honestly, now I feel like I can do anything. It's like the, uh, what is it? The shark, there's that analogy that if you put a, a fish, like a shark in a, in an aquarium, it'll only grow to the length of its boundaries you put in a bigger tank and it just grows and grows and grows. And I guess that's what you needed. You just needed to break out of that preconceived boundary you lived in. Your wife was the, the conduit. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah it was amazing. It was, it was a strange, strange journey. And I, I tell her all the time now, like she, I don't think she was consciously prodding me to move forward. But the fact that she's so amazing, and then I have great people in my life too. Like that, that's one thing that I've always been really good at is recognizing good people and bringing them into my life. And thankfully they, they allow me to be around them too. But uh, you're absolutely right. It was, a, it was a change in perspective. And once I made that change, that's why I tell all these guys to all of my students, I tell them all the time, like, you want to start a business? Let's talk about it. I'll help you. I'm not afraid to put a little bit of money up to have you like make something amazing. Like you're, I think you're about to bring AG out here 
the toehold. And uh, that's exactly what happened. Like he, he was telling me about that. And I was like, heck yeah, you know, I'll help you with that. I remember him when he's a lot younger. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that all starts with what we do on the mat. You know, I mean, how many times do you get somebody that says, um, I can't, they're too big. I can't. That's like a bad word in here. John Chuck, every time somebody says I can't, I'm like, well, boy, here it comes. And John Chuck gives him the speech. I literally prohibit that word because um, what happened to people and when you mentioned this, I was ready reading something and say a kid from a poor family and a kid from a rich family. And that base, and I use that to understand in my school, a kid that grow up in a poor house, he's always going to hear, oh, that's not for you. Oh, this is too hard. Oh, people are different. Oh, then later on in life, that stick with you. A kid can be a lazy kid in a rich family. Oh, let's go and do it. Let's go and buy. Oh, we're going to make it happen. We're going to open this new company. The approach each parent they have for nature is so different that most like the kid they're born rich will continue to be rich and end up making business to be rich because he never had on his mind, oh, these people are different than you. Oh, that's not for you. You cannot be there. That's Forget about it. And I think it's the culture that now you're part of this in your own school, take that out from that mentality that you cannot do it. And you, not just saying, you're just an example of, oh, yes, you can. I was here, look where I am now. Then you change the way you think, you just mentioned that, and here we are. Coaching case is someone known around the world as making very good fighters, making champions on and off the mat. Now I have one question that I always ask everyone, and um, and on your own words, I wanna, who is Coach Casey? Who is this person? Well, first, I'm a husband, then I'm a father, and then I'm a coach. And this is actually something that I think about all the time. And uh, without my wife, nothing is possible, right? So first and foremost, that that's what I am. And then, of course, you know, the little girl's dad. And then, and then coaching is like very, very, very important to me. And I literally keep it that simple. When, when life gets tough, I have three pillars. And if I don't know what decision to make, I say, how is this going to affect my wife? How is this going to affect my kids? How is this going to affect my students? And if it's going to have a positive effect, I say yes. If it's going to have a negative effect, I say no. And I've literally simplified the definition of self to just that. That's all I am. Nothing more. Yeah, I think you'd be, I don't know, shy or economic in the words. Um, from outside and for a lot of people that are on your circle, I hear just, not just that. I hear that everyone that goes to your place, they can rely on your strength, they can rely on your guidance, they know they're on the right place, and as a result, and everybody can see in all those big events, is someone that changes life. And, and the effect of changing life in a way of uh, make people feel better, make people confident, and I'm sure you have a lot of your students that came to you as this small, now they see the world and everything's possible for them. And I think um, could not be a better description to have and read Coach Casey, because you're coaching people to have a better life and believe in themselves. And that's what Jiu-Jitsu is. And I thank you for keep pushing that kind of jiu-jitsu that change people's life for better. And as a result of that, we have you and thousands and thousands of other people that follow your guideline. Um, man, I appreciate you being here today, Casey, and it's good to know you, definitely. Uh, please do continue to do what you do don't change much because uh, I make all of us here very proud and 
an honor to have you as a friend and see somebody there doing so well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. I, and and as, in closing, a little, um, I don't know, you might not even remember them, but when we had our Malibu school, we had a, a father, um, and once in a while his son too, they'd go up to Vegas for work and they would drop in at your school. And uh, I remember, because they asked, they go, anywhere to go? And I go, go to, go to 10th Planet. Casey will take care of you. And he's like, man, I love that place. He goes, it's just like here, just no gi. He goes, the culture and everything. So, which I thought was very cool because we're, you know, you're always reluctant. Where am I going to send people if they're not, you know, from a school that I know? I don't know where, I don't know where you're going, but when it comes to Eddie and 10th Planet, and of course you were training with us too, so. And now everyone knows that yeah. if you are in Las Vegas and you want to learn and be part of this amazing team. That's the place to be. 10th Planet Las Vegas, Coach Casey. And you will never and will not regret to go and be in that place. Thank you once again, yeah, sir. Thank you, Casey. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Gear Required, produced by JJ Grappling Incorporated, engineered by Mike Zavalos, and sponsored by the Art of Marcel Santos Fine Art Gallery, JJM 3.0 Advanced Online Training, Lutigear, Authority Auto, Body LX360, and Valley Hot Yoga Wellness Center.